Our gospel lesson today returns to the Sermon of the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. Do not judge so that you may not be judged. For with the judgment that you make, you will be judged. And the measure you give will be the measure that you get. Why do you see a speck in your neighbor's eye, but don't notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your neighbor, let me take that speck out of your eye, while the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them underfoot and turn and maul you. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come together and celebrate the fact that you have removed judgment from us in Jesus Christ. I pray that the meditations of our hearts and the words of my mouth may be an honor and a glory to you. Amen. So do not judge. If there's anything that rankles a pastor up, it's probably that Jesus said that more than anything else. We do not excise scripture by the single verse. We read it in context, but this sentence doesn't even get finished. Do not judge so that you may not be judged gets cut in half. We just get do not judge. Well, Jesus in plenty of places says that the, that the saints are to not be stupid. Jesus even gives philosophical instructions and principles I don't think that we as Christians have fully appreciated. Take his teaching, judge the tree by the fruit. Obviously, Jesus is intending some sort of judgment, but that's a beautiful teaching because it gets beyond so much of what hangs us up. When we try to judge the tree by the tree, we look at the foliage, we look at the words of the argument. Does it convict us? Does it agree with what I already think? But Jesus says no. Look to what actually happens when you establish that argument, that teaching, that rule. The best example I can give of Jesus' teachings on judgment is, perhaps because it's cold, there is an oasis in the Sahara, absolutely beautiful, and it lies right on the path of every migratory bird that goes through the area. And these poor birds, they have to fly from one end of Africa to the other with no stops through the middle of the Sahara Desert. They fly over this big, beautiful oasis, palm trees, water, everything. But if any bird stops and even dips its feet into that lake because of all the desert salts and the concentration from millions of years of erosion and everything else, the pit is 100% poison. It's a beautiful tree, but the fruit growing on it is nightshade. And Jesus has told us that the saints will be responsible for using their judgment. Paul speaks of false teachers. It's not that they're going to lead people astray for their own good. They're going to lead people astray by things that sound good, by fruit that looks tasty. And what is the serpent's temptation to the father of all of us in Adam? Did God really say that? That fruit looks pretty good to eat. 
so Jesus isn't telling us to be so open-minded that our head falls out. So what does he mean, I mean that our brain falls out. So what does he mean by do not judge? And I would say this is something that actually intends to be stricter than the average deflection, oh, you can't judge me. Only God can judge me. That is exactly what you're supposed to be afraid of. Do not judge pertains in Jesus' teaching primarily to the fact that we cannot judge someone else's ultimate fate. With the exception of a few persons, like say we were doing a eulogy for Hitler, I can tell you where he's going. But with few exceptions, we have no right to ever utter the blasphemous saying, God damn you. We have no right to say anyone lies outside the purview of salvation. But is that not what we are so accustomed to doing? Oh, he is a drunkard, so he can't be saved. He's a Democrat, so we know he really can't be saved. And he's a Republican. He's never even heard the gospel preached. That gets a chuckle, but is very dangerous and slippery slope. Because Jesus points out, for with the judgment you make, you will be judged. We all are sinners, and we just so happen to sin in different ways. We have different weaknesses than one another. And I am pretty sure, I've said it before, but God is not impressed with a sinless life that is sinless only because the person barely has a pulse. There are plenty of red-blooded and hot-headed people out there who say stupid things and do stupid things that are farther along on the path of salvation than people that just have a form of religion and may be strict in it. Whatever judgment we see in others is but a speck in their eye. I heard an Orthodox priest talking on this once, say that we should be completely egalitarian towards persons, towards their appearances, towards their circumstances, but we should be completely elitist in our ideals. But even taking that, whatever fault you may find with your brother or sister Christian is but a speck in their eye. With that in mind, why do we always go for the speck in someone else's eye when the log still remains in our own. One of the reasons we cannot judge others in ultimate fates is because we do not have divine omniscience. God, who is divinely omnipotent, knows every single thing about us, and that's the only person we have a good picture on. And each and every single one of us knows that thing to which we are the weakest. If you have been seeking holiness in your life, I can tell you that one pain hurts you worse than anything else. There is always some sort of besetting sin in many lives. Perhaps it's a struggle with lust, with substances, with anger, and you stumble over it again and again and again. How can you who hold that in yourself and have tolerated it, because obviously it's not getting fixed, obviously it keeps happening, see somebody make a mistake that for all you know is a minor mess up and hold that against them for the rest of their lives? Because there's grace in this 
that I don't even think everyone understands. Our besetting sins, those things that we worry about the most. If you, if you are living a life that is not in compliance with everything you have been taught and think, one of the hardest parts in the walk for a saint is the sin that sticks out the most to me, be it pride or humility or whatever I find in myself that I can't fix, that I can't satisfy the Lord in living a good life on. Sometimes one of the hardest things in pastoral counseling is to teach people that may not be the sin that upsets God the most. You may be an angry person screaming your head off, and that may be why the rest of us don't like you. But before Almighty God, he is far more upset at the fact that you never trust him. And that is why, as a sad child, you are screaming and trying to cling to hold everything. We don't know the other person's situation. Jesus has said that judgment will come. He's told us not to be so open-minded that our brain falls out, but he tells us to take out the logs. And as sinners, saved by grace, approaching other people who we are to assume that whatever their fault is is but a speck in their eye, we can do what our reading from Paul said today, tell the truth with love. But I've got time today to get into at least one fun bit, looking at chapter 6. So Jesus has just said, do not judge, and half the people's brains clicked off. Well, there's a warning in here for any of you that have ever pulled the, you can't judge me, only God can judge me. Because speaking of judgment, Jesus did tell the disciples, you fools, don't you know you will judge angels and men? The truth that Christians have been given is an eternal truth. And whatever measure we use to judge, we will be measured with, Will God himself has set certain bars that will not move. When a Christian, in humility, admitting their own faults, speaks the truth in love, it is God's honest truth. It is infallible. It is holy. It is for the salvation of your soul. But it is even more not contingent on the speaker. If a wicked man speaks scripture in a proper meaning to rebuke us, it is just as important for the salvation of our souls and the leading of a holy life as if it came from the mouth of the purest hermit monk saint living in the forest. Wicked preachers, wicked people can convict us of our own wicked ways. We cannot throw it out because a liar calls us a liar. He knows the habit better than the rest of us. But there is an attitude that has always been with us and I fear will be with us until the end of times that says, you cannot judge me. I don't need to listen to anyone else. And we probably have all run into the person who quotes Jesus, well, well, thou shalt not judge. How are you getting in here? We should be a holy people. You can't call me out for doing this, that, or the other thing. Well, this is Jesus's answer to that. And I'll leave you here. Do not give what is holy to the dogs and do not throw your pearls before swine. The judgments of the saints are to God pearls. They are the finest gold. 
The words we speak in gentle rebuke can be the salvation of another living soul for all eternity. God absolutely treasures those. John, the epistle of love, 1 John, love one another, love one another. What does he say? A gentle word in rebuke covers a multitude of sins if it wins the sinner back. But Jesus is sending his disciples out into a word that, world that will not like what they are teaching. They're going to be talking to men that want to keep that affair going. I don't want to not commit adultery. It's fun. I don't want to clean up my act. It's fun. You can't judge me. Blah, blah, blah. Well, this is Jesus' attitude towards those persons. Dogs and unclean swine. But even more of this. Jesus puts a warning, they will trample them underfoot and turn and maul you. Christian witness is costly. It is inherently casting pearls before swine, and many of us have had experiences where we have tried to give someone a gentle correction. Oh, maybe you need to get along better. Maybe you need to tell the truth a little bit more. And the person has taken it as a personal attack and turned and bit us. Families splinter because someone says, hey, honey, I would prefer it if you followed more traditional thinking and maybe married him. Families have splintered because of a multitude of political issues I don't need to go down the rabbit hole on. Plenty of people say, you thou shalt not judge, and turn around and fire it right back at us. So what are we as the church to do? We're not to just take a single sentence. Yes, we will be throwing pearls before swine. That's almost inherent in Christian witness. But one of the better parables to look at this through is the parable of the sower. Some of it lands on the bad ground, some of it lands on the dry ground, some of it lands among the weed, some of it lands on the fertile ground. We are to be liberal in spreading that good seed. We should not fear that we are sowing it among the rocks. There is always more in the bag. We should not fear that dogs and swine don't like pearls. They keep their values even if the animals cannot understand them. But Jesus has been working through this, this Sermon on the Mount to show his disciples that it is going to be costly. The world will not like them, and they cannot tone down their saltiness. They cannot turn the light off that stands on the hill. We are quick and eager to condemn and judge other people, particularly when it serves our own ego. But when we according to scriptural principles, judge the tree according to its fruit. The tree does not, does not appreciate it, and it will turn and maul us. So judgment is not something to be entered into from a sense of our own personal righteousness, from building ourselves up. It will never, godly judgment will never be any situation where I'm better than the other person. Far often than not, godly judgment will be when the other person turns and bites. But we have a Lord and a Savior who judged a couple people once. In love, he said, your life is not being lived right. He gave golden pearls, much like this teaching. He went to unclean people, 
like the widow whose daughter was sick, but to a Jewish person that might as well have been a swine. He gathered up a bunch of rogue disciples who, well, as far as the Pharisees felt, probably were just a bunch of dogs. And at the end of his life, at the meal that we are going to celebrate, one of those dogs even turned and bit him. But he didn't give up, and he didn't stop speaking the truth. But he bore that cost so that we all might be saved. There is hope in this confrontation of the world. I do not want to leave you feeling that is not the case, but it is confrontation. Jesus doesn't tell us pray for your enemies because he wants us all to gloss everything over and be friends. He tells us to pray for our enemies because we will have them. Let us pray.